0: Coming up
1: next, I got basketball, 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 and more basketball. Yeah. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game, pull off some bank heists and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right, the hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards, make your friends bankrupt, by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball, Charge other players' rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chess and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. March Madness, it's here. Listen to One Shining Podcast with Tate Frazier. He put up his big March Madness preview. Oh yeah. It's happening. Tate is back. March Madness is here. You can listen to that podcast right after you listen to this one. We also have some movie podcasts coming up based off the Oscars, which was tonight. Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins are doing a big picture reaction. And then The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwell. I think that's going up tomorrow. Not a ton to talk about. Everything Ever All Once One, basically everything except best actor you know, we do the rewatchables and you have those years where a movie just kicks everyone else's ass. And as the years go by, you're like, oh, 1991. That was the silence of the of the lambs year. Um, 2023 is definitely going to be the everything year. Domination. Not that exciting to watch from a telecast standpoint. Uh, my guy, Jimmy Kimmel, was holding it together, though. I thought he did a great job. Um, obviously I'm biased, but I thought the monologue was really funny. I wish Tom Cruise had been there. It would have been a fun little wrinkle, but uh, whatever. What can you do? Speaking of movies, new rewatchables is coming Monday night. Your only hint is that we did a Sean Penn movie. And that's it. That's your only hint. Hey, we did a Prestige TV podcast over the weekend too. We did, me and Juliette lipman we broke down the first six episodes of Daisy Jones and the Six, which is an Amazon Prime show about a music band in the 70s that um, it, we had complicated feelings for. We enjoyed it. We're frustrated by it. We worked it out, out, out on a podcast. That's on the Prestige Pod. And then uh, Last of Us season finale was tonight. I haven't watched it yet. Van and Charles have a reaction on that. So, um, those are all your podcast updates. Go check out the ringer.com as well. Coming up on this podcast, Ryan Russell and I are going to talk about the true sleeper in the West. We're going to do some Jokic and, and bead because hey, by law, I guess we have to do that. And uh, a lot of all NBA stuff, it is all next. First, our friends from Projet. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast. It is Sunday mid-afternoon, Pacific time. Oscars has not happened yet. We did watch a Nuggets-Nets game just now, and we'll talk about the uh, MVP stuff later. Rosillo, I wanted to lead with the Sacramento Kings today, and then you have the Nuggets lose, and Sacramento is five behind them in the last column. Probably can't catch them for a one seed, but they look like they're a legitimate two seed. I went on FanDuel today, this morning, and maybe the ads will have changed. And I was curious, like, what are their ads for the Western Conference? I'd be like, what, 10 to one, maybe 11 to one, 12 to one. What do you think the odds were, Rusillo? The Kings to win the Western Conference this morning on Sunday. 25 to one? 33 to one. They had like the eighth best odds of anybody. And if you look at it, they're gonna be the, uh, you know, really good chance for them to be a two seed. They're battling Memphis for that. They are 40 and 26 right now. They started out three and six. They're 37 and 20 since which is one of the five best records in the league. Philly has the best record, 39-16. Sacramento's 37-20. And And there's a lot of stuff about them that we can go into. But just Snapchat, Malcolm Gladwell, Blink Test. Do the Kings feel real to you yet? I think
0: the the standard for them has been so low for obvious reasons that, like, I just feel like this is awesome. But then the problem is, it's like, wait, they're a two seed? And you want me to talk about them potentially coming out of the West? I just don't see it. And I really like, what I've seen, like this, is such an awesome story. This has been an incredible two weeks. They're winning all these games. The Knicks game, like, think about the last time Kings Knicks, and I was like, I can't wait for this.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> what was that like? Nineteen ninety? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not even nineties. I don't know. So, two thousand? C-Web versus? uh I don't know. May- maybe like C-Web versus Spreewell would be the last time. You're right. I mean, am I crazy? For no. now, like, do you do you think they'd win the West? So here. I wanted to go through some stuff because I actually think I was sleeping on them a little bit till today because there's some great history with situations like this that would indicate that we actually are sleeping with them. First of all, they have the best offense in the league, right? I mean, that's not nothing. They are the best at a certain thing. Now, whether you say in the playoffs, um, will that hold up? I don't know. But they're averaging 121.1 points a game. They're first in offensive rating. The Fox clutch numbers, which we have mentioned a few times on this podcast and on your podcast, uh, are officially just ridiculous. He scored 20% more points, um, just points, than anyone else in the last five minutes of a game. He's shooting 54%. And so if, I, if I'm just looking at two things, how good are they offensively? Well, regular season, they're the best. Do they have two awesome players? I would say Fox and Sabonis. Sabonis is definitely going to be third-team all-NBA. I think Fox has a real case for second or third team all NBA. We could talk about that later. So they have the two players, they have shooting, and they have a real home court advantage, and they have real success now. Like going, going 37 and 20 over a 57 game span, which is two thirds of the season, that's a 55 win pace. So those are, those are my initial things I'm going to throw at you. How, what's your response on that?
0: The offensive numbers, especially when you consider what they've been. You know, I like to look at the season, but I also like to look at last 15 all the time. And, you know, overall can lie to you a little bit. And then last 15 can lie to you a little bit. But their offense is on a tear. Like, it's not just the best. Their last 15, they're four points better per 100 possessions than the number two offense. And that's Billy. Wow.
1: Well, their clutch offensive rating. I love that we can... I remember in the mid-2000s wondering, because I knew Daryl had access to all this stuff, and I think I even wrote a column about it at one point. Like, I know there are better numbers there. We just don't get to see them. And now we get to see all these different numbers. One of them is the clutch offensive rating, where their clutch offensive rating for the season is 128.7 per 100 possessions. Utah's number two at 117. So they're 11 points better than everyone else in the league in the clutch. And I got to say, I test-wise... Doesn't that add up? When you watch the Kings in these last five minutes, like remember when we used to complain about how bad the shots Fox got and the decisions he made? That was like my biggest issue with him was I felt like he was a forty-four minute point guard. The last four minutes, I didn't trust his decision making at all. Now it's the opposite. I I like the decisions. You saw it again last night in that Suns game. He controlled the game like he was doing whatever, getting whatever shot he wanted or getting what somebody else whatever shot they wanted, and they just always seem like they have two shooters. You know, Keegan Murray was zero for three last night. He's been in a swoon. And I'll just throw. Yesterday it was Kessler Edwards. Just throw him out there. He made a big three. It just always seems like they have answers combined with the Sabonis element, which he's basically like discount Jokic. So to me, it feels real.
0: Okay, but see, that's that's back to like the real part where we're talking about them ending the longest playoff drought in major sports. So you're like, whoa, okay, yeah, that's heavy. Then it's can they win the West and. If I start with all the good things, it's I'm so happy about this season for Darren Fox because it got so bad at the end of the games last year that you and I would like text each other being like, hey, Kings alert. And you would just see how bad it was and he would force the yeah. issue and you're like, OK, he's the lead guy. He's really fast. He's super athletic. He's going to get his 20 a game. But I know that I personally like was at a point going, is he going to be one of those guys? Is he going to be one of those guys that you're like? Yeah. All right. I cool gave up numbers.
1: on it. I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. I did. Like I met, I did a tweet, I think in November where it's like, what would happen if the Lakers offered them Westbrook and those two firsts for Fox? And I, I don't know whether the Kings, you know, they would have said no, Oh, well, they, they definitely should have said no. They would have well, said no. Well, just the question you. for me was like, are those two first round picks more of an asset than De'Aaron Fox? Because I didn't see a path for him to be a top 10 point guard. And now I see a path for him to be a second-team NBA guy. So from November to now, it's been dramatic. And the big thing for me is just how comfortable and confident he is in the end of these games, where he's just going against night after night, whoever, and he's either outplaying them or going head-to-head with them and not losing. And that's what's changed.
0: Yeah, I I love it. Because if you looked at some of the numbers, you'd go, oh, well, is it that big of a difference? And it just is his command, whether it's controlling the Phoenix game, and you bring up a really good point, with kessler edwards like this is somebody who i always kind of liked with the nets because of his yeah. size and the, how hard he played and some defensive intensity and you know granted he probably wasn't the greatest option on that fast break last night but for him to hit that three and also look at like the the part that i didn't like about sacramento's like the starting five that we've touched on we even mentioned it last week but when you look at the top five lineups they've played like 300 more possessions than the second most played lineup in the NBA. In the beginning of the year, when you saw them kind of figure it out, you're like, they play like a team that's played together for a couple of years. So normally this doesn't happen. Normally you don't have from, well, they even make the playoffs and end this drought to could they win the West? So that's always a big leap for me because it doesn't really happen in this league. Uh, The defensive numbers are always horrifying to me. So I'm like, okay, how much could I really buy in? But when you stay on the positives, like I didn't know that they had enough bench, and now they're kind of tweaking some things. Like herder didn't play a ton against Phoenix. Keegan's right. playing less minutes recently, which you know, long term is not necessarily what you want. But the fact that Metu comes in and plays his ass off, and you know, Lyles is is a serviceable Lyles is okay. guy. I've never liked him. Like he's he's okay. So I I love the like even the New York game. And granted, Brunson left again with the split issues that he's dealing with, but. You know, Hart, who we just saw do a really good job just physically matching Tatum, right? He's not as big as Tatum, but he was tough, and it just made Tatum work a little bit more. They had to take Hart off of Fox, and then they put quickly on him, and then they had to take him off of him, and then they went with Grimes. And when I saw that, I'm going, like, it doesn't even matter. Like, they're trying to figure out a way just to slow the point of attack. And I think the best part of the Fox story is, you know, the argument that's pro him even last year with just what looked like forcing the issue is he just wasn't a trusting basketball player. He just didn't trust anybody. He hadn't played with Sabonis long enough. Sabonis is kind of a weird fit sometimes because you're like, you got to get him touches in different spots than you would normally expect with traditional guys, but don't worry because he's actually going to pass it to you. When you look at Sabonis' assist numbers, like we rave about his dad and people saying like, oh, he's the original Jokic. The assist numbers for Sabonis, are Arvidas, not your Arvidas, not my Arvidas, they're comically low based on how he's remembered. Like, go back and pull him up real quick. You'll be like, oh, wait. Not to say he wasn't a great big... Yeah, great he, big. And we saw like kind of semi-washed he up. Was he was to 31. He was 31 when he, yeah. or when he came injuries. to the league. Right, so I'm not like... But the Sun, this is one of the best passing... bays just in the shadow of this absurdity that Jokic is, is this point guard center. So, you know, I think the best part for Fox and his development in this team is that he's going out there with five guys where he's thinking, or the other four... It's a group that just seems connected. Uh, I would yeah. I would love to see a better run defensively for me to start really thinking about them winning the West. So I feel like it's kind of a cop out where I'm going, hey, this whole thing's awesome, man. This whole thing's awesome. But if then you're gonna be bummed because I don't think they're winning the West, I'm like, your standard is, I mean, I know that's the standard they should be playing for is a two seed, but I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet.
1: One thing on Fox, I felt like last year. He was almost like listening to a podcast at 1.5 speed versus, I like 1.2, but it was just a little fast. Everything was like just a little rush, a little fast. And this year, he's so confident. Like he has these different things he can do. The way he he can drive, he can drive like naturally to the left, obviously, but he has this little funky move to the right so he can go either way. And then he has that little pull up at the foul line that you know it's going in when he takes it. Like Yesterday, I think it was Mark Jones was doing the play-by-play. He made like the dagger. 15 footer and Mark Jones said the first name De'Aaron, last name him. And yeah. I was watching it with my son, and my son was like, Did he just because you're not him is a big thing with uh, in teen culture right now, so they dropped that. And it was, was kind of justified though with Fox because he was he was doing whatever he wanted against Phoenix. The Sabonis thing they have two different paths on a play because they could do that Sabonis kind of that old school yokage guys cutting and he could find somebody or he could just bulldoze his way down the foul line and beat somebody or they have the Fox element, which is another reason I like them. Everybody else kind of fits in off those two, but then they'll have the random monk game. They'll have the random herder game, right? They'll have these dudes like Malik every, I don't know, two weeks will have a game where it's like Malik has 34 points through three quarters or, you know, some crazy box score going on. And that's why in a playoff series, like I I feel like he's going to have one game in a playoff series, right? And they're going to have home court, which is the other thing. They're going to have home court in at least the first round. They get the two seed. Now you have home court in two rounds. And they have an awesome home court advantage. Like, that's a top four crowd right now. So, you know, the inexperience piece makes me nervous. Uh, Mike Brown's at least been in some good stuff. I agree with you on the defensive, you know, the can they get stops, which is always what we look for with playoff teams. But then you look at the rest of the West, like, who do you like? I know the Warriors won yesterday, but was that like, was, was that,
0: with no Giannis? I mean, it was a nice Curry game. but it Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really.
1: like a I, – I didn't feel – it was a nice comeback win, but I didn't feel like it was a great win for them. I left with more questions than answers. That They have not figured out the pool piece of that team at all. I don't know when Wiggins comes back. And the road record is just absolutely appalling and abysmal. And to me, no, it's a way I, bigger but, red flag than any Kings red flag.
0: I've been hanging on to this Warriors thing going, you know, once Curry's back and everybody's there – like to write them off because I felt like people were just writing them off and Curry wasn't even back yet. But this Wiggins thing is going way longer than everybody thinks. I think it's eight missed games and they had just lost to the Lakers to OKC and that Grizzlies lost. They got their asses kicked in it, too. And then you got Brooks talking to Curry, you know, and so. Brooks talking a lot
1: of shit. Yeah. And I'm not sure. Because
0: it's not there and it's like I get to do all this stuff. So. I would tell you, even with the win in overtime against Milwaukee, again no Giannis because of this wrist thing. Uh, this is this is not a <laughs> like to me. This whole week for Golden State has me more. I'm not writing him off. I'm not, but I feel worse about him after this week than I do. Me
1: too. Uh, I think they have a real issue. Thought, they have a real issue with the pool piece because I don't think he's one of their. I mean, they don't have Wiggins, and he wasn't one of the five guys you would have wanted out there anyway. They didn't play crunch time for them. Dejan played instead. But in general, like that, those are going to be Wiggins' spot. And they seem like they're better with Looney. And um, the pool piece, the, all the money they gave him. I think he's been really erratic this year. I haven't liked watching him this year. And it doesn't seem like he's that fun to play with. And we've had multiple games now where his teammates just seem bummed out by the decisions he makes, you know? And, and they seem off. Phoenix, which is the team that I thought had the best chance to go against Denver and still do in a lot of ways. The fact that Durant is basically not coming back until right before the playoff starts, that makes me super nervous. He's played no games with these guys. You know, Lakers, I have no idea when LeBron's coming back. I know they're 6-2 since the All-Star break, but if it's okay, I'd like to see a couple more games. Uh, but you go through and it's like, who's good? Who's, who's the team? It's really just Denver. And Denver's been, you know, they lost again today and that Murray disappeared. Murray was 5-for-19, then he left. They said he was having an issue with his knee. That made me nervous. So I don't really like anybody in the West. That's why which brings me back to Sacramento.
0: No, it's true. I mean, the Memphis thing, who knows what's going on there? Um, I mean, it was bad before Jaw got into this stuff. And, you know, I still cannot fathom that Steven Adams would change you this much as a team. I also think it speaks to like as great as Jaron Jackson is as a as a defensive player, you know, Jaw's shots being gone. You just see with Jaron Jackson, like he's a really nice player. Everybody want yeah. him, but right now he's not that guy. That's like, okay, I can take five or six more shots and carry us for stretches offensively. I just don't think that's really his game. Bain is their best offensive option. I like a lot no, of the pieces. No Clark, no Clark, Clark and he's twenty-five gone.
1: to thirty minutes a game is just gone for him.
0: Yeah, right. And then you've got the Clippers, who are it depends on the week. Okay, it. I mean, they're still trying different things. You know, the win that they had. Uh, last night against the Knicks, you know, was just really paying attention to like what Ty Lu is doing. And they've got all these pieces and you're like, man, look how deep they are and how talented this roster is. But I think at this point of the season, we're mid-March and, you know, you know who a couple of the guys are, but he's already kind of weaning himself off of Westbrook, certainly to close games. Shocking.
1: Couldn't <laughs> have guessed that one.
0: So... <laughs> I I couldn't agree more on the... I don't know how anyone looks at the West and feels great about it. I mean, Denver's probably going to their worst stretch, which I know we're going to get to. I I really thought them getting home, uh, they'd win this game against the Nets, but then the Nets are way better than a lot of us thought they would be moving out of all those pieces, and they have a bunch of different options. They completely kind of changed what they wanted to do in the third quarter, today, And Denver, even if as the one seed, like say, Bill, they clinched it by seven games, and it's five now there's no benefit of the doubt because of history with them and it didn't feel like it was this immovable object in everybody else's path when they're a 500 team on the road even with this great record. So you talking I, yourself into the Kings?
1: Is this what this exercise is? Here's the thing with the Nuggets. They lost that Bulls game and they and the Bulls kind of did whatever they wanted. That was the worst one of the three, by the way. That was they the worst ass, one. And, and I, wa- yeah. I watched a lot of that. And I thought the Nuggets had such a big lead in the West, and I wondered, like, oh, are they just going to do the thing where they kind of fade into the playoffs? Jokic could care less about the MVP, and probably at this point, with all the discourses, like, please give it to beat. I don't, I, I don't even give a shit. Um, so I was like, all right, they're, so they're letting up a little, but this Sunday game against Brooklyn, they this will be a hey, don't forget about us kind of game. And then they were down ten the whole game, you know, and we could talk about Brooklyn. No, leader, no, they weren't.
0: That, I mean, actually, or I think the, that's that the weirdest thing. Half. Well, they came back. I mean, you know, it was classic Jokic. This bench for Denver's awful, and they're trying to figure it out right now. And if you look at their bench on-off stuff, and this is what also speaks to Jokic's numbers, you know, any of the plus-minus stuff. I mean, he's off the charts with it. But if you look at it, I think it's going into the weekend. It's the second-worst differential of any bench group that plays. And then, you know, they bring in Reggie Jackson. That's not working out. They bring in Thomas Bryant. That's Uh, Did you think
1: that? I thought Reggie Jackson was going to work out for them. I was actually surprised that it's been this bad. Like, he was bad again in this game today.
0: Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny how, like, the buyout market. Everybody loses their shit, right? Yeah. And then you go, you know, we're, we've been pretty good <laughs> and we kind of like our eight, sometimes ninth guy. And it's like, no, no, here's these two other pieces because all the contenders are supposed to do this. And then you're the coach. And you're like, all right, how am I supposed to figure this out? Like before this, when yeah. you thought of like, wait, who's the big at Denver? And you're like, oh, DeAndre Jordan. Like, well, not really, because that's not really what they want <laughs> right. to do. And so like today was a perfect Jokic first half because he comes out, they're up, he goes in, they, they, they get stomped and then he comes in and totally dominates the second quarter and they're rebounding like crazy but in the third quarter like I thought the Nets what they did defensively with Jokic and just a lot of stuff I don't today was not a Jokic is not the MVP game (laughs) maybe the Spurs won defensively which is making the rounds Um, yeah but I didn't watch today going like what the hell's wrong with him I watched the rest of the team going what's wrong with you guys
1: Yeah. Jokic ended up 35, 20 and 11 missed the two shots that could have tied the game at the end, but, um, but you know, that what the nets were doing against them, I thought was actually something I wonder if a couple other teams are going to borrow. Like if they play the Clippers, I bet the Clippers defend him the same way. They were just sending multiple people, different directions and wings, and they were just leaving dudes open. Aaron Gordon, knock yourself out. We're going to give you 17 footers. Um, I'm not worried about the Nuggets yet, but the Jamal Murray thing worries me a little bit because I don't think he's looked quite the same um, in the last 10, 12 games or so. It felt like he was really coming on like and looking like Bubble Murray again. So I want to find out more from that. And then I, again, the Reggie Jackson piece where I thought he was going to be this key guy for them, it just wasn't happening. I want to take a quick break because I have some more King stuff to throw you. I did, I did a little homework, Priscilla. Hey, sports fans, the wait is finally over. FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Now live in my favorite state of all 50 states, Massachusetts. New customers in Massachusetts can get into the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place your first $5 bet, all you have to do is sign up at fanduel.com slash BS. Money lines, point spreads, player props, more. Bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, visit fanduel.com slash BS and make every moment more in America's number one sports book. You must be 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wage or only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions by see terms at sportsbook.fando.com. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24 seven support. So the Kings were 30 and 52 last year. And it got me thinking, there's different versions of the out of nowhere team, right? Like the New Jersey Nets, when they made the kid for Marbury trade, they got kid, they were immediately good. There's KG goes to the Celtics. Like I'm not counting stuff like that. More of the organic, a team going from, we weren't really anything to... Holy shit. We're a two seed. We won our division. We, and there's a couple examples in history of teams that actually made the conference finals out of nowhere. Um, so I'm going to give you a bunch of them just quickly. And then I'm going to dive into four that I thought were really good parallels. So the 1989 suns that was KJ's breakout year, peak chambers, Eddie Johnson, our guy, they were plus 28 from the year before. They finished 55 and 27. They were a 27-win team the year before. Three seed made the West Finals. The 2001 Bucks, a team that you loved, Ray Allen, Big Dog, Sam Cassell, they were plus 10 from the previous year. Two seed, they made the East Finals. Then we had that 2002 Celtics, so where I met you after one of those games um 49 and 33 plus 13 from the year before they made the east finals the 07 jazz mark them down 51 wins 10 higher than the year before they made the west finals and then the 2015 hawks who finished 60 and 22 they're plus 22 from the year before two seed they made the east finals so the three doppelgangers for this kings team i'm going to go through them one in a row and you tell me what you remember the 89 suns they go 55 and 27, they're first in scoring, they're first in point differential, second in offensive rating, fifth defensive rating, so way better than the Kings. And they had a breakout year from Kevin Johnson, peak Tom Jambers, as in my opinion, James Worthy with, with worst PR. Eddie Johnson, 21 and a half that game, our guy EJ. Um, new coach, Cotton Fitzsimmons. They beat Denver. They beat Gold State, which was that first TMC team. And then they got swept by the Lakers. And they were a three seed that year. Now, two things about that team. Hire Cotton Fitzsimmons as the new coach. And the big trade was that Kevin Johnson, Larry Nance trade, which was like, whoa, that's a crazy trade. And the Cavs got better. And the Suns got better. And it was a great trade for both sides. A little like the Sabonis thing. So, I think that's a really good doppelganger for this team. Granted, this was 44 years ago. But do you remember that team? Do you remember when the Kevin Johnson thing took off? It feels a little like the Fox piece this year. Tiny bit.
0: Yeah, and they had the hammer, Armand Gilliam. So, I mean, you're never (laughs) going to forget the the hammer. hammer. I love the hammer because in one of Charles Barkley's books, he says that they were all living when they were younger, when they were on the Sixers, and there was some unit that they were all living in. and, And the hammer ran an extension cord. From Barkley's back deck to his house to cut off electricity, <laughs> like, or to make sure he didn't have to pay for it. So, um, amazing stuff. I think stuff. that was the hammer. Do that. The hammer's not around anymore to defend himself on that one. So, I don't want to make sure I'm not getting that wrong. Maybe we'll get IT on that. Uh, look, I think Kerr was on that team too. I, I thought that team was like a really good balance. You know how you look at teams historically, and sometimes, you know, we have it now, we don't have it, but like really good positional complementary balance. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, every kid, I think every kid was kind of on the Chambers thing because he had that dunk and then they put that dunk in the Sega Genesis game. And like, if you hit it just right at that angle and then hit the button, you just were like,
1: he was a big video game guy. You're right. And he was in the NBA. It's fantastic. He was in one of those commercials. I think one of the things about that year was that was, you know, the Celtics were kind of fading out. The Lakers got old. Um, Jordan and the Bulls weren't quite ready yet. So it was one of those who's going to step up seasons and then the Pistons were the team that stepped up, but it was just a lot of sea change, which reminds me of this year too. The, uh, the 2010 Bucks, they finished as a two seed. I didn't 2010? remember. I'm sorry. The 2001 Bucks, they right. finished as a two seed. I didn't remember this. They were second in scoring their first in offensive rating and You know, we've discussed this before on the pod, but they should have beaten Philly, and that's one of the most egregiously officiated playoff series of the entire David Stern era. That was the best East team that year, and they should have made it. But a little similar to this Kings team, where it was like, oh, man, so much offense, but defensively, how are they going to get stops? And then they took Philly to a game seven in round three. And then the other one that I thought was a really good one for this was the 07 Jazz, because... They finished 51 and 31 that year. They were third offensive rating, 18th defensive rating. So a little like the uh, Kings. They're only seventh in scoring though. But you had the breakout years that year for uh, Darren Williams and Karolenko were the two guys that kind of ascended. Boozer was already there. Uh, you had Sloan there for a long time. They beat Mac in round one in a really good series where they actually won the last two games of the series. It's it's a tough one for the Mac kind of legacy that they didn't take care of business in seven. Although I think he had like twenty-nine. But then the round two, they're playing the We Believe Warriors and everyone is on the We Believe Warriors bandwagon. And it's like, this is great. Oh, my God. we're And then Utah's like, no, actually, we're going to go on in the next round. We're going to knock these guys out. And they beat them and they lost to a really, really, really good Spurs team. Probably the best Duncan team of all the Duncan teams. Um, so those three, I think, are the recent ones. The Hawks won. That's a little different because those guys, the Haw- the 2015 Hawks, those guys were all older. They had Millsap and Joe Johnson and Horford. Those guys were all vets. I don't I don't think that's comparable to what we're watching with this King's team. But my point is we have seen this. It's not like this would be inconceivable for the Kings to do this because we do have three examples in the last like three and a half decades.
0: The funny thing is when you kind of go back and I, I really like that you did that, you know, and you try to think of like, okay, how did I think about those teams at the time? Uh, if we start with the 2001 Bucks run that ended up being the Sixers thing, remember how weird that all was and people like Toronto? The East was bad, man. The yeah. East was really bad. Philly like had the 56 West wins. I don't know. I still think the West is more confused than it is just bad and devoid of talent. That's I fair. Felt like, I felt like the East then, like if you go back and look at some of those teams that were like, one of these teams is going to make the finals. Like, I mean, what? next
1: year it was even worse. That that really mediocre Celtics team almost made the finals. Yeah, I'm glad you guys. didn't include I, I I'm glad you didn't include them cuz like it's weird in
0: the last 20 plus years well I I would cut it off cuz I think the Celtics team that lost to Miami although I wasn't surprised um the like the Isaiah Thomas yeah. Eastern Conference Finals team it's like okay you're in the Eastern Conference Finals like I just always bring this up all the time you know like Portland or Atlanta a couple years ago there's teams that end up there where I'm like yeah that's you know I don't really know what that means like it's cool you made it there the 0-2 Celtics are the epitome of that like that was just a fun ride and then when yeah. they were in that net series like wait are they actually going to win this thing like this is crazy they and were up, like
1: yeah they were off right? yeah
0: yeah right and they had, it says
1: they had an 18th, they were 18th in offensive rating. I would have thought it was like 27th.
0: I can't believe it's that hot. Like I know. if you, that, that was like one of those baseball teams where you're going, you know, wait, wait, they're good or they're not. And they're just kind of in it. So that whole time I was like, this is house money because I can't believe this team is even competing and up on the Nets. And then you're just like, well, whoever wins the East is going to get killed. Um, so I'm glad you didn't compare Sacramento to them because I think in the lesson in all of this is that. I feel better about Sacramento not only now, but moving forward than probably any of the teams of the three that you focused on.
1: Yeah. I mean, first in scoring, first offensive rating, 26 defense, which kind of adds up to what we're watching. And again, no, to me, no definitive West team. I think if Durant hadn't gotten hurt, I think the Suns, by the end of the season, we would have been like, all right, road goes through them, especially if Murray's getting a little sketchy here. I was already there. Um,
0: but <laughs> yeah, he's already there with them without even playing. And that's what I love about that Sacramento win last night. Because you would have thought Phoenix, even at home and without the rant, it wasn't like and you could talk about, okay, well, the pieces that they're moving out, okay, fine. But you thought they would have gotten that one. Um, but Sacramento's on fire right now. And they controlled that game at the end, too. And then like all of a sudden Phoenix is taking bad shots and it's like, man, Sacramento's actually stepping up here. And Barnes was probably the story, you know, as far as the offensive balance. That's what I like about them is they have a bunch of shot makers. I you know, we can the defense goes without saying, but when you're looking at a playoff team going, if somebody gets stuck or, you know, do they have options off of their main guys getting stuck? And Sabonis will try to attack you a bunch of different ways as well. I mean, he makes fools out of people. I can imagine he must have just learned all of these post moves trying to get the ball free against his dad in the backyard. Like, yeah. that's what I see when I look at him. I'm like, all of those times he's probably screwing around with his dad in the back. Like, he has all of these moves because he was little and tried to figure it out. And he makes people look like fools. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I think I'm kinda... they're
1: really hard to play, you know. And we'll see in the playoffs. We know everything slows down, the pressure gets higher. You get to look at a team over and over again, but the pace that they play and the how skilled their guys are, I think they're good. I listen. It would make no sense to me if they made the NBA Finals. That seems like just one of the craziest leaps in the history of the league, you know, where you go from. You haven't made the playoffs for seventeen years during the finals. I don't think that, but I think thirty-three to one Western finals, at least for them to be one of the two teams, I could see it. Like even if you go through two 7 Wait, it's thirty-three I, to
0: one to get to get into the
1: Western Conference Finals? No, no, to to, to win the West. Right. But once okay. yeah, yeah. if you have them in the finals, you can just go against it. But you know, you look at like, all right, who would they play? Well,
0: were well, you going to pick right them against the healthy se- Lakers in a
1: two seven? Well, if the season ended today. Minnesota, Dallas, Dallas. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to say who's going to make it. But Golden State, to me, it's almost more realistic for Golden State to drop into the playoffs than the Lakers to. Like I could, I put that wrong. I could see the Lakers being the sixth seed seems more realistic to me than than the Warriors getting their shit together. I don't know what to make of this Warriors team anymore. I don't understand the road record at all. Like, I'm I really, like, dumbfounded by it. And Kerr, like, when he drew that play for the game-winning three for Draymond last night, I was like, all right, what the fuck is going on?
0: Okay, I'm with you on this. Because I went, I even tweeted about it, which, you know, I don't do all that often. We're 100% it was for green. Where it was an inbound, Curry was this, like, little flare. It was 100% were,
1: for green. Yeah, you could tell, that's by the I way, thought. he, he it was laughing. It. Yeah. And then Kerr kind of had a look like, Oh, I'm glad we tried it. And I'm like, what's going on? You're on ABC on a Saturday night? You said Draymond Green tried the game winning three of a of a of a Saturday night game that you actually needed. I thought that was weird. I think the vibe of the team is weird where it's an we've always talked about the on off switch. It's it's a combination on off switch, but also guys have just been hurt at these different points and they've never had their guys together. I think the reason we're afraid to count them out is what happened last year. Where all of a sudden they had all the guys together and they turn the switch.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, they're still playing. The Moody's basically out of the rotation. They're trying to figure out a way to get Iguodala in there, which I kind of don't understand. Uh um, I don't get it either. But what what is he, thirty
1: nine now? That's it might oof.
0: It, it might just be a lack of bodies. So there's that. I mean, Jermichael Green played twenty three, and Ty Jerome, who, you know, I I love his approach to playing basketball uh on offense. I just love it. But, you know. It's He's like a two-way guy playing real rotation minutes at this point um, because of the Wiggins piece. And I'm with you on Pool. I mean, he's taking more shots and the percentages are down. He, we know he's a bad defensive player. And when he fucks up, it's, it's like, oh, my God. Like, your mom could be with you and never watch a game. And she'd be like, what's that guy doing? Right.
1: You know, I went back. I was trying to figure out how weird of a season this is. And I went through the highest point differential total for every season for the last 30. Because this year, if you go, at least when I did this on Friday, the Cavs and the Celtics were plus 5.4. And those were the two best point differentials. And I was like, wow, that seems low. 5.4 usually were like in the sevens. So I went backwards. And there were only eight teams in the last 30 years, not counting this year, that were in the sevens or lower. And the lowest was, I think 6.8 was the 2006 Spurs. And then there was another 1993. It was like the Sonics of their sons were like 7.0 and that was it. So this is historically strange that we don't have a team that's not, I'm not even saying dominant, but at least a team that's like six points a game better than somebody else. That has not happened since, you know, Apex Jordan. And to me, that makes sense because that's what we're watching. And I, I don't, do you have an explanation for that? Do you think we finally hit the point where there's so much talent and there's so many good guys and then the offense has gotten so good that there's just too much variance now? Well, it's never been easier to
0: score. We've covered that. uh, But it's also the most talented group of players I've ever seen. I mean, the number of nights where I'm watching the eighth or ninth guy come in, I'm like, I can't believe how talented this guy is. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, again, Cam Thomas is a bit of a like, you know, depends on how you watch the game type of thing. But I mean, he went on a Jordan run for a week and now he can't get minutes.
1: You know, and Seth like Curry <laughs> could have played for a week and comes in and he's doing, you know, driving right. down the lane on so, big crunch time baskets today.
0: I, I just, I also think the, you know, when I was going through the all MVP stuff, it's like, you know what, it feels like the majority of the guys have been playing um, more than, you know, what was a combination of three weird years, which, you know, I reference a lot. It may be just a one-off because normally that's not what this sport is. But I also think that there's no, we went a decade plus of the groups, you know, the one or two teams that had a third guy that was so off the charts that you looked at them going like, all right, well, if they lose, it'll be an injury or something colossally stupid goes on with them. And I don't know that it's a flat top of the league because of now this is forever. You know, sometimes things happen and sometimes I'll be like, is a thing happening or is something actually happening? And it would have to happen more years for me to say that the league has dramatically shifted. But it's not like this. It's not what we grew up with. It's not the way this league works. And we're sitting here legitimately saying like seven or eight teams could win a title. And that just doesn't happen when it's March.
1: Yeah, you go backwards. I would feel the best about the Bucs. This is the worst I've felt about the Celtics all season. It's got It's gotten even worse since when we talked a week ago.
0: We don't have any Celtics scheduled, but I do want to just jump in here if we're going to say it. Because we're not going to do anything else on it, I don't think, today. Last week when you were like, why don't you benchmark a smart? Um, I watched a couple of games with my dad and he, he would like to have that vote for you to close with Derek white. The three that he took against my Aibon, dad
1: was also like, I'm upset at Rosillo and next time he's at a game, I'd like to talk to him about this Marcus smart, Derek white thing. So yeah, the old guys are on Derek white. Uh,
0: well, I think we were both on the same page about smart for a long time. Like my biggest issue with smart is he probably thought he was as good as Tatum and Brown is, um, and I thought did last you see the game was, last night. Well, I'm just saying like for a second, I thought smarts last season is the best season he's ever played. I don't care it's what true. the numbers are. It is the best season he's okay. ever played. And I didn't even vote for him defensive player of the year. I don't know what is going on with him now. I mean, he Me was neither. so bad against the Hawks. I know he hit the big three there, but he took that huge three against Cleveland because he wanted the dagger moment when they should have run more clock. Now, a wide open three. I know what the numbers are. That's fine. I got to imagine that Missoula is going, I'm just trying to get him back at some point because he missed so much time and we'll see what happens. I do think coaches default to, hey, he was our guy. He was our guy that was on this ride last year. I can't abandon him. And I think the Celtics' biggest issue that you're seeing right now is like, you know, whatever you want to think about Dylan Brooks is you need somebody who will punch somebody else. That never happens, but you need somebody like that. And for the Celtics, if they don't have smart as their kind of guy, there's no one else on that team that has that kind of personality. However, uh, smarts had a tough week in the Atlanta game, even though they won it. That was, re- that was just an awful game from him.
1: He was horrendous and they should have won the game by 15. And there were multiple times when the game was over and then smart made a play that just <laughs> significantly brought Atlanta back in the game and they just wouldn't take him out. Um, the smart piece, the fact that smart and Grant Williams, and I agree with you on last year and smart. We've, we talked about that last year as it was happening. The fact that Grant Williams is basically out of the rotation or he's being yanked around or they're trying to prove some point with him. And Smart is the worst he's looked really since his probably rookie season. This is the least athletic he's looked. This shot, the bad shot selection is back and it's the worst version of him we've seen in years. And Rob Williams doesn't play. Rob Williams plays for eight games and then he's gone again. And these were the three guys that were the linchpin of when they turned it around last year. And I don't feel good about any of them. Now, White's been way better, but uh, so anyway, they're the they have the second best record in the league. I don't feel good about them. Philly, I'm starting to feel better about. Cleveland, how could you not? Better about? How did you Sacramento. not feel good? Ab- well, I ah. just I don't know. You just have to tell me Harden and Embiid are going to be healthy for two to three more months. I just I just want. Oh to see yeah. Them. All right. Well, if, I mean, if we're doing I don't the- trust them physically from a health continuity standpoint, but I think from a basketball standpoint, this is the best they've looked. And Mobley, what he's doing with Cleveland now, they've become more interesting. You know, so it is wide open, which brings us back to the whole reason I started with the Kings thing, because it might just be one of those years where like home court advantage and the ability to outscore people in, in these 129 to 125 games, and then some lucky injuries and Durant not coming back and whatever's going on with the Wiggins. And then all of a sudden we're looking at the Kings with a 2-1 lead in the West Finals.
0: I'll add one more thing to the Kings. Uh, Mike Brown would be my coach of the year vote, my and kid. and I think at at one point you're like, you didn't really know what to make of him as a coach because when you coach LeBron, you're not really coaching him. <laughs> you no, know, he's going to run what he wants to run, and he's going to. And by the way, it worked forever. So it, this isn't even you know like I remember asking an Advanced Scout once. I go, hey, what do they run? And he was like, Mike Brown actually gets you into some stuff. He's like, but then LeBron just kind of resets it, wants to play slow, dissect it, and it's a pretty good formula. And you're like, yeah, no argument. And then the Lakers thing was kind of a mess and it was on the way out. So you didn't really quite know. You were like, everybody raves about him. And if Kerr has him as his number two, then he must be really good in his preparation. He must be really good in what he sees. But I don't even know that he got a chance to be this kind of coach. And I feel good for him that he's in a place where there isn't this one dominant figure that ultimately you're deferring to, whether you're the head coach or not. And I think it speaks to like, whether it's the organization top down, all the stuff like these guys being receptive to coaching. And I see them do stuff over the course of the season. I mean, again, I'm not watching every single Kings game, but you know, whether it was the, the Minnesota game where I think Sabonis had fouled out and they went with Trey Lyles. Uh, it's the Phoenix game last night. Um, how they use Mitchell at certain times, uh, I, I'm really just impressed with the entire thing. It, it seems, it's, it's rare that you would have a group that's this new together where there seems to be so much buy-in.
1: I feel like I've pulled you on my side a tiny bit. By the way, I'm not predicting the Kings are going to win the West. I just think nobody I just can't has taken it. them. I can't, I can't do it with the defense. But nobody has taken them seriously the whole season. And I think we're at the point where they should be taken seriously at the very least. They should be mentioned with some of these teams.
0: I'll ask you one other thing. It's funny how like propaganda works for the MVP and campaigning. And back in the day when we were younger, like you couldn't win the Heisman unless the previous year they'd already started that. And it took place over the summer. Now everything moves so fast. It's almost like worse being the Heisman favorite. I'm not voting for De'Aaron Fox or MVP, but the fact that with his numbers and the clutch numbers and the fact they are a two seed in the West and that I don't, I hate the, Hey, this guy needs some mention. And then on a TV show and you're like, cool. (laughs) Than pick, him, right? And nobody's picking him, but it is kind of funny that he's never ever like allowed to even be thought of as a top five guy, despite the profile being the number one option and being a really good regular season record. Does that make sense?
1: That's 100% makes sense. It's one of my least favorite TV talking head moves <laughs> where they yeah,
0: go, I hate it too. I just
1: nobody's did it. talking about Kevin Durant and how good he's been. It's like even Kevin Durant, the 15th best player of all time, who's <laughs> averaging 30 points a game again. No, we're talking about him it's 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 but you're right with fox like
0: it's nobody like i was going through the award stuff and i went oh wow like you
1: know yeah i want to do i can't wait to do that with you because you know everybody's focused on this mvp which has just become this blood war for whatever reason (laughs) and there's some there's some real real fun all nba stuff too um let's take a break and i want to go through some of the so the MVP, not in the way you think we're going to talk about in the NBA, just like a snapshot of where we are, because there's some, there's some voter dilemma stuff that I don't think people fully realize. So that's next. All right. So you led your podcast on Thursday. You had a nice little monologue about the, uh, the MVP race and how toxic it's been. And you made the same point that I, I made in my little quick thing I did at the top that the whole reason we have all these voters is because sometimes you have years where people disagree on stuff and then it comes down to, Hey, we pulled a hundred people and 60 people thought this and 40 people thought this. And that's how it went. I think with the MVP, to me, it's crazy how in the last I went through all the races, I wrote down every single MVP race that was separated by 150 points or less And in the last 16 years, we've only had at one time, we've only had one like actual close MVP race. And it was 2017, Westbrook Harden with Kawhi as the third guy, where Westbrook had 888 points, 69 first place votes. Harden had 753 points, 22 first place votes. And then other than that, there's been pretty much consensus every year, which is I think the part people have missed with the Jokic stuff the last two years. Like there was pretty major consensus that he won. When Bird won his his three MVPs, there was a ton of consensus for that. For the most part, we've had consensus. I went back though, I was surprised. Um, Both of Duncan's MVPs were way closer than I remember. Do you remember that? I remember the kid one being a debate. I didn't remember that the next year... Him versus Garnett was, like, one of the closest ones we've ever had. I just remember that, like,
0: Garnett felt like, it was a little bit like Dirk, where, you're like, when's this guy going to win his? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what Embiid's going through right now. You know, watching these games and watching them every night and then, you know, going, wait, that guy ended up not winning one? Like, when's he going to get his? I mean, that was certainly the Karl Malone one, where it was like, all right, we got to get this guy one. which, again, is fucked up, but... uh, I, yeah. I was so pro-Duncan. Like, I was so pro-Duncan. Me too. Every time, I I just almost felt like he was still underappreciated in the moment. You're like, do you understand that you're penciling your team in for 50-plus wins every single time and, like, something has to go wrong for them? not, you know, Even though they have some earlier exits than you would maybe realize on, on the team resume throughout that run. But, um, yeah, I'm sure back in the day I was always arguing with Duncan.
1: That one was 954 to 897 for Duncan Kidd. 57 first place votes to 45 for Kidd. Yeah, so that's next close. Year, Duncan, yeah, really close. Duncan okay, Garnett. but remember,
0: remember the newness though. Like never forget, voters are writers. Writers like stories. They like to tell stories. That's right. the Westbrook vote. You know, Westbrook's the guy that kept the money, stayed in OKC, the anti-Durant triple-double. That's a great story, you know. So never forget oh, the yeah. impact of storytelling, uh, which so, is wrong, but it happens.
1: But so that shifts in the mid-2000s, and I wanted to get to that. The 03 Duncan Garnett, 962 to 871. Duncan had 60 first-place boats. Garnett had 43. Basically, they had the same season, except Duncan's team is better. Um, Nash Shack is the single closest one we've had other than uh, Irving Bird in 1981. That's the 05 one? Yeah, the... Nash was 1066. Shaq was 1032. Nash had 65 first place votes. Shaq had 58. I I have MVP columns that you can go back and read dating back to like 2004. And then I did a bunch of stuff in my book about it, about all the years I went through every year. I had Shaq, I voted for Shaq that year. I had Nash sixth (laughs) on my ballot. (laughs) Um, And I was just like, I, I was just like, I don't see it. And I, I had LeBron wait over him. and I had Dirk <laughs> over him. Um, wow!
0: You wait in Nash's first year with Phoenix.
1: Yeah, I had you him had six. him
0: sixth because so, that's a classic. That's a classic new car smell. Like Nash has completely changed this team, even though they're yeah. still good. But like it was something that everybody, if you were a neutral fan, it was kind of like some Warriors stuff before Durant got there and everybody got pissed about, it, which I understand. But it was like, oh, the Suns are on. Like I want to watch this. You know, there's was, two. It,
1: there's two big things that were going on. on. Um, one was that the league was horrible to watch. It was hor- it was a horrible product in 03 and 04. And they changed the handcheck rules. But Nash, that was like just a fun team to watch. And we just loved watching them. And he got the most blame. But man, when you go back and you look at their stats, Omar is incredible that year. And the advanced stats are like really favorable to Omar. That actually he probably got fucked over. He should have been top five MVP that year. And they had Marion, they had Joe Johnson, they had Quentin Richardson, who had the best year of his career. And, you know, it's, you could have made the case like there, there were a lot of nights where you didn't even know Nash was the best guy in that team. Um, Oh six, I picked Kobe. I think I had Shaq fifth in Oh six. Kobe to me, that was another That was kind of an anti-narrative thing where people just didn't want to vote for him because of the trial and the Colorado stuff three years, but that's why he didn't win. You can spin it all you want now. and, And you can say he got boned over, but people just weren't ready to vote for him. I voted for him. Uh, the 07 one was the one I thought Nash should have won. And that one was 1138 to 1013, 83 for Nowitzki, 44 for Nash. And Nowitzki won because he was due and because of the 67 win thing. I bring this up because I think as we hit the late 2000s and the internet got better and the stats got better, and I th- and also like the backlash to people because Twitter, if you did, if you, did, if you had some guy who's like, I'm just you know what, I'm just voting for Jason Tatum for MVP. I don't care about this Jokic and B. Giannis thing. I covered Tatum and and I, I watch him and I just really value what he does. And I don't really care. That's going to be my vote. You can't do that anymore. So I think for the most part, I think if you go through, I've had the same vote as the MVP since 2009 with the 17, 2017 year accepted. I voted for Harden in 2017 over Westbrook. But every other year I've had the MVP vote, and I think most people had, we've just had consensus. And I think one of the reasons with 2023 why it's become so contentious is because it's the first time we haven't had con- consensus with four weeks left. Like, it's really, to me, I don't know who I'm voting for. I Like, if anything, I'm, I might be a slight lean to Embiid right now. There's 14 games left. And if it's okay with everybody, I'd like to watch three more <laughs> weeks of basketball <laughs> and kind of see what happens. Like, Embiid had an awesome game winner the other night. And Jokic had a chance to have game winner day, Missed it. Tiny moment, but it matters a, a little bit. They're playing head-to-head in a week. I'm going to watch that game. If Embiid beats the shit out of Denver again, that's going to matter to me. But my point is, like, give a, can you give us the 80 games? Do we have to decide in game 63 and start yelling at each other? I don't understand it.
0: Well, I, I think... The problem too is that you know Tim Bontemps who does the straw poll. It came out February sixteenth, and Jokic had seventy seven of a hundred, and Embiid had only six, which is in third place to Giannis, who had eleven. By the way, someone in the straw poll gave Durant a fifth place vote. Um, mm. You know, I mean, look. By I, the way, that
1: straw poll was totally fair a month ago. Embiid, it still over felt, the last <laughs> month. It's the, it. I know the seventy seven to six vote up, but Jokic was in the lead a month ago.
0: He was. Like, Jokic got off to the bad start, at least on the straw poll, because then Tatum, you know, they're, what, 20-5, and 21-5, and, and it's like, all right, Tatum's clearly better player this year, which you know, I think we'd all agree on. And then Jokic goes on his tear again. And, like, I mean, I could sit here all day. I think that the problem is, is, like, you know, the rising tide raises all boats, is that when you look at any stats, like, if I wanted to just sit here and stump for one guy, I could go, th- well, 30 minutes would be a pretty boring podcast, but i go 10 straight <laughs> minutes, and you would right. listen to my cell and you go, how is that guy not the MVP? And what makes it so hard this year is I could do the exact same thing with the two other guys. Even though Giannis' metrics, some of the analytics stuff for Giannis is like almost undervaluing him a little bit. And I don't know if that's, you know, the plus minus stuff that comes into it gets really weird. Because if you look at Jokic, it's off the charts. It's off the charts. But the bench is so bad. So you're like, okay, he's That skews great. a little bit. Yeah. Right. That, where
1: It should be like, one thing you look at, but not the thing.
0: No, and that's where it hurts Embiid, where it's like, okay, you know, Embiid's plus-minus is still really good, but do we go Jokic has that much more of an impact on a game, or does Philly just have a little bit more balance to it where there isn't that much of a drop-off? And that would be unfair to Embiid. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. You know, there's a defensive one, and again, I'm just kind of bringing these up because they're going to be used all the time, so I'm just sort of warning everybody ahead of time. If you go defensive plus-minus for every player in the NBA, Defensive box score plus minus. Do you know who's number one? Tatum? Jokic. <laughs> really? Now, every even I think the guy that came up with the box score plus minus thing was like it can be really flawed because if you're a terrific offensive player, it's still a plus minus math that you're looking at right. here. And Jokic is that good offensively that I think it skews into the whole thing. Like there's a play, there's an alley oop to Claxton. Or I actually didn't think Jokic was bad defensively today at all, so we'll see what the, the kids on Twitter do with it. They were asking him to do a lot. They were having him come way out and show. They were trapping Spencer Dinwiddie. That's why he had a million assists because he was like, look, they were blitzing the hell out of me. He was talking about it in the postgame. And then there was an alley up to Claxton where I go, okay, that's a play there where they can't do that to MB. Like, they can't throw that alley-oop and have Claxton dunk it over the top of him because Embiid is going to make you feel something. If I want to be completely unfair to Embiid, which I wouldn't want to do because I still may end up voting for him because I think he's fucking awesome and he's on this absolute tear, and Philadelphia is now flirting with, like, a real seeding thing here, yeah. which would kind of cancel out where Denver felt like they were running away from it, but now Philly's playing so well. But if I wanted to, I could cut up some stuff of, like, him having to stay in front of Lillard, which no center's going to be able to do, you know, which would be unfair to Embiid or the times he's late to show in the first half of the three-point shooter— Because guess what? Guys that are seven foot one that weigh that much aren't going to close out hard on three pointers all the time. So I never remember it ever being this nasty. There's certainly more skin in the game for me because it's my second year with a vote and I care about it this much. But when I look at the defensive box score stuff, which Jokic voters will use if they vote for him and will use that and say, oh, his his defense actually is way better. And look at all the metrics because there's like contested stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but my eyes don't tell me that. My eyes don't tell me that he's the best defensive box score guy, even though whenever I've looked at some of that plus-minus stuff, Bill, I feel like it tells the truth at the extremes because after Jokic, which, again, is nuts. Embiid's 10th, by the way. If you look at who else is in the top five, it's Caruso, it's Giannis, it's Jaron Jackson, Hmm. and it's Draymond Green. So you're like, okay, wait, that makes sense. But I think it actually speaks to the fact that Jokic is so off the charts offensively that it raises some of that stuff up because, and I'll finish here, if you go to the extremes of like the high usage scores that we all think sucks on suck on defense well who who are a bunch of the negatives oh dame Beal, Jordan Poole, Trey Young, and then Jalen Green, whatever Houston's trying to do right now, which I know they're trying to lose a million games it's just bad basketball no well, it's working, but I would end it this way. I don't know what I'm gonna do, and it's a really, really hard vote i and it by may the way that's just, that's.
1: That's where you should have landed. Why would you know what we're going to do yet? There's not even in the 70 game market, you know? And, and that's a part. That it should be fun that this is this wide open. Like it all isn't. of this to me is fun. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. But on the other hand, I don't think like somebody like my dad doesn't care that people are giving other people shit on Twitter or whatever. I, I think what's getting lost in a weird way is how great the three players have been. And specifically, I want to talk about Embiid for a second. Um, I do feel like he's better this year than he was last year. I do feel like, and people could throw a hundred stats at me, but like, no, no, actually it's the same. You look at last year and this year, like, I'm just telling you, watching the game, I test like that Portland game the other night, doc calls timeout <laughs> the last, last play of the game. And beat's going to have a game winner. He's got Nurkic on him one-on-one. It's a matchup you want every time. And doc calls timeout with eight seconds left. So he can get him beat a worse shot. Um, which Embiid makes anyway, I thought the shot was gonna go in. Like to me, Embiid has reached this point where his fucking offensive toolbox that he has now, um, his face-up stuff, his ability to overpower people. I was thinking uh, about watching Ewing, like, I don't know, late 80s Ewing when he when he really had his knees and he was just, he just this awesome, could face up, could hit long shots could hit the little jump hook and he had this whole package. It's like, wow, Ewing, it's really got it together. Like to me, Embiid is just offensively better than Ewing was. And Ewing was one of the 40 best players of all time. He came really close to the finals a couple times, lost to Jordan. Uh, I think I'm not ready to go there with Akeem, but I think he's better, a better uh, offensive player than David Robinson was. I think he had more stuff to his game than Shaq ever did. Shaq was a little more overpowering, but Embiid, I think brings more to the table. And whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa! Whoa, Wait a minute. Say that Shaq part again.
1: I think Shaq was more overpowering, but I think I I
0: think Shaq's footwork was insane,
1: man. But I'm saying like he didn't have the ability to bring people away from the basket like Embiid does. I would say near the basket. Yeah, this is where the generational comps. You know what I mean? right, sure,
0: right, okay. Um, uh I'm never, I'm never ready to mess with Hakeem ever. So we can,
1: yeah, I'm not Hakeem. We're we're putting over there. We're putting him on the side. Um. But I think it's just been amazing to watch Embiid's journey over the last six years. Because he's still like the first couple of years, even he was gifted, there was still a clumsiness to him. I remember, he would fall down a lot. Or you'd always be worried like he was going like, to get hurt. Um, now I don't know that that's gone away. That I'm worried
0: about him getting <laughs> hurt. I, but like a pro Embiid <laughs> thing would be like there's other players who I think are really talented. We talk about all the time. And then you look at the playoff resume. Like, I actually never really have felt that way about him I mean it's a good argument winner if you want to go there with somebody I just don't really want to because I like him so much and I actually have yeah. liked him this much the whole time as you be like oh we'll get out of the second round I mean the problem is like if Jokic wins this MVP and they don't win and they're not some overpowering Denver team okay and I'm not just talking no. about this week if they don't win Jokic it's it's better it's for like,
1: Jokic not to win let's be honest
0: well I don't know about that I mean I want to be the guy who's the third dude ever to win three MVPs in a row okay? I'm saying from
1: that. a from a pressure for trying to win the playoffs this year, in a weird way, it's better for him if Embiid gets this MVP and then it could be like, all right, let's just try to win the title here.
0: And, and that's why the Giannis thing is so crazy because, you know, I have a monologue in my head that I haven't quite done and maybe we but we're we're such dicks. We're dicks when we talk about these guys and Giannis was headed for Dicktown. He was right in the crosshairs. Bud was going to get fired. It yeah. was going to be, oh, this guy. Okay, cool. He wins an MVP, and those are just the rules. And sometimes I think it's totally accurate when you're looking at somebody's playoff runs and going, "How come this guy doesn't win?" I'm like, you know, that's really what we're doing here and paying attention to. And with Embiid, I'm, I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too easy on him. Uh, and then the Miami series last year was a mess. Uh, the Toronto the Atlanta series, series is
1: the toughest one for him.
0: It no, is. I, I know Simmons. It, that's, I know that's Simmons,
1: Simmons is a piece of that, but
0: no, but that's I, why, it, like, I, that's another t- t- entry. T- t- into t- like loss.
1: the mind of
0: Ben Simmons not your kid, but like when he does the the stuff and starts talking about like what Embiid didn't do in the Toronto series, and you're like, "Fuck, are yeah. you serious?" Like Embiid, I, at least I know when I'm watching Embiid. If he's losing the playoff series, I don't even count that Heat one because that whole thing was a mess. Like I think that guy is is he's, he's ready, like he's up to the task. And there's some late stuff when you're a big guy, like the game is just tough for a bigger guy to get all of his stuff on his own anymore. Um, it's just not really the way it's played. Let, you know what, let me ask you this. Do you think Jokic gets the benefit of the doubt the way a quarterback does? Where when you watch Jokic control everything offensively, and he has more weapons offensively as a, as an offensive player than Embiid does. I mean, the passing alone, right? Not that Embiid isn't a terrific passer, but I mean, you know, this Jokic stuff is insane. Do you think that Jokic almost is treated like a quarterback in comparison to the non-quarterback in the NFL where the voter has a hard time going, well, how can this other guy be as this important as this dude who literally dictates everything they're doing in every offensive set?
1: It's a good question. I think you have to go back and you have to compare him to Bird and Magic um, and probably Nash to some degree, but especially those three MVPs that Magic wins. A lot of it had to do with he makes everybody better. He elevates everybody. Every single player he plays with is a better version of themselves because they're on Magic's team. And I think you could say the same about Jokic, and that's the best case for him. Embiid is more of the traditional, he lifts the team up because he's so good. You know, and like that, that shot he hit at the end of the game on Friday night, that's like the traditional awesome MVP shot that we're used to, right? Jokic missed his today. That's not really why yeah, you have well. Jokic. He's more of, yeah, whatever. He Jokic is a connector and he's an elevator and Embiid is an overpower. And sometimes it can be a taste thing, which is why it's good that you have 100 voters.
0: All right, let me ask you another question kind of along the same lines. Is, you know, when I see these videos that are popping up more and more now about Kobe and players talking about Kobe, right? Like there's this reverence. And I think it also is this, incredibly sad ending to his life. That That's a big piece can, of it can prop up. Um, you know people just don't want to start sitting there and, t- and criticizing somebody who's not around anymore, right? I mean, we do it with musicians all the time or whatever. But. Kobe was so impressive physically, there was this dynamic ability, like beyond all the numbers, and all this other stuff, like you knew when it was like, what are you going to do with this guy? You talk to other teams, right? Like other people in the front office would be like that fucking guy. And the same thing happens with ex-players. And yet I, and I, you know, I'm you sure plenty of people think I'm wrong here. Like I would rather have Duncan to be the anchor of my franchise, especially then when you go through the Duncan and Kobe career. Like I would just rather have what Duncan oh, you, was. You know
1: where I stand on that one.
0: Right. Right. Like when I see these all time lists and people are like, if you like, I think arena's had another, and he's been on a heater all season. Uh, he once, I think he said, Russell Westbrook was the key for who was coming out of the West. Um, mm. You might have been he was right. like, if, if you don't have Kobe in your top five, and I'm thinking like, okay, wait a minute, does that mean Duncan? I think most people would have Kobe ahead of Duncan. So the reason I bring that up is this question to you. Do you think, do you think Jokic is kind of Duncan and Embiid is Kobe in that when Embiid is going physically, it's so much more impressive than anything Jokic does?
1: Fair question. To me, the Duncan-Kobe thing was pretty obvious the whole time. Like, Duncan's teams were always 55 wins no matter who was on his team. And he won, a, he won a title in 03 with really nobody and beat Shaq and Kobe together. And I don't think he had an all-star on that team other than him. I think the problem with this MVP thing is that we just have three awesome choices. Now, Giannis might fade out because he's doing things like he skipped a Saturday Night ABC thing. Like, if, if Giannis could have played in that Warriors game yesterday, I know he's a little banged up, but he could have put up 42 and 25 against the Warriors yesterday. And then people would be going today. Oh, is he honest? You're right. The choices are really <laughs> hard. I remember I went back. One of the things I I did in my book was I was trying to figure out the 1981 MVP race. And this was a different era where everybody kind of would decide who the MVP was halfway through the season. And everybody decided it was Julius Irving's MVP. It was time for him to win one. And then something weird happened down the stretch where the Celtics started playing really well and Bird started to have some monster games and it was kind of closer than people realized. final game of the season they're playing in Boston. Celtics beat them. Bird's great. Bird has like five steals in the first quarter and he's just the best player on the floor. But Irving won the MVP cause it had kind of already been decided. It was like, whatever, nobody really cared about the MVP the same way back then. I think that's an old way of thinking about the MVP where, People would kind of decide around game 60 who was going to win it or what the narrative was. And that was kind of what takes hold. Now people get mad at the narrative, even when nothing has unfolded yet. And it's game 63 and people are flipping out and accusing people of already decided of whatever. Jokic was the MVP favorite for the first two thirds of the season. I think Embiid, with what he's done in the last month, Nani has closed the gap, but I think he's going to pass him. Like I think Embiid or Giannis is going to win the MVP because I don't think the West matters as much to the Nuggets or Jokic and I see them fading back. So like on FanDuel today, Embiid was plus 250. To me, Jokic and Embiid should be even because Embiid's on a mission. And I got to say as a voter, if it's dead even, um, and I'm looking at I'm like, man, should Embiid have one of these? If it's two to one, Jokic versus Embiid versus 3-0, like that is going to be a factor this year for people that would, maybe it won't be one of the top 10 variables, but it will be something you think about like, hmm, he is kind of do like it, if it's this even and the records are even and everything's even, yeah, fuck it. And I think that's why he has a real chance.
0: Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think the recency thing, like even with Giannis, like I had a moment, I don't know, two weeks ago where I started flirting in that direction where I was like, I might just do it. You know he's the best player in the league. They're going to be the one seed in the East. I'd pick him against any other team. Like, what do do I need to make it this complicated? Like, I saw a stat the other day that talked about how Embiid was on pace for the best scoring per thirty six that we've seen since Will, and I was like, wait, what? And Giannis is actually ahead of that at per thirty six, but Giannis yeah. is technically a center. So I was like, okay, that felt a little disingenuous. It's like we've never seen anybody ever do this before. And it's like, well, we're actually seeing another guy do it. They just have a different letter next to their name when they check in a game. So um, there, if there's a lot of it, it'll be funny because everybody thinks all the Jokic stuff was because of advanced metrics, which it wasn't because Embiid was terrific in the same metrics. He was just behind Jokic in a lot of them last year. Um, it would be funny if Giannis ended up winning it because the metrics, he doesn't really stand up to the other guys. And that depends on how much importance you put on it. Like, I don't know how many of the hundred voters are like default VORP guys. You know, I, I think that there's a lot. I just don't think it's 50. I don't know if it's 10. I don't know if it's 20. I don't know if it's all wind shares because you start doing that stuff. Like I would never just look at that and go, okay, that's my vote. Um, yeah, but
1: you know, what's funny about this though, is that it, isn't it good not to have groupthink, to have people disagree? Like, isn't that the whole point of this? I think Everybody complains, especially the last six years in the country, where it's like, "Oh, everybody is so polarized on these one or two sides, and you have to either have to think your side or the other side." And there's no nuance; there's nothing in between. This is the ultimate example of how there should be nuance, and it is way like like right now we're taping. It's it's four thirty three now Pacific time. The Sixers are up ten halfway through the third quarter against Washington, and Embiid has twenty six points already. <laughs> like he's going to have another forty point game. There was some stat about how he'd had. I think 23, 35 point games this year. And this, this is looking like this is going to be his 24th. Like he's probably going to end the season with 32 to 35, 35 point games. And I know the stats are weird this year and they've been harder than ever to compare history to now because the offense is so up, but um, he's having one of the best offensive seasons by a center ever from a scoring standpoint. So
0: and he stays I, on this tear. I think your recency thing, like the reason I, I didn't get to it, but like if Giannis had gone off on a Saturday ABC game, even against the Warriors team that we can't figure out, you're right, because it would have turned into a hey. And you have to wonder like, what's the percentage of voters that are actually impressionable enough to see a week of like, is Giannis the guy coverage that actually makes that person think differently about their vote? It's not zero. Again, I, I know I think the NBA has well, do this a really good job. Westbrook.
1: Remember this happened. Westbrook, It was dead even, everybody. And then Westbrook had a couple big games. I remember he had one awesome Sunday night game. Um, He had like a comeback win game. And then all of a sudden it was just everybody's like, all right, vote for that guy. And that's the whole point. Like when you have even races like this, it is going to come down in the last couple of weeks. And you can call it recency bias. But in this case, these guys are really playing for something. The the Sixers have a chance to get the two seed now. They might even have a chance to get the one seed. Denver's trying to hold on to... They're one seed, and the Bucks are trying to hold on the one seed. So there's real stakes. Got Teams are playing head-to-head. And I, I think the next, I don't know, I don't think it's rocket science said so the next three weeks are going to decide it. And I think that's okay.
0: Yeah, and I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I think like a lot of people before the Embiid tear, you were like, yeah, Jokic is probably the favorite, and it felt like the right call. You shouldn't go, well, I'm not voting for him because I don't want it to be a three in a row. Um, but it... <sighs> I don't, yeah, look, man, I I can't say it it too many times already.
1: I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. One of my MVP questions that, you know, and I read the MVP column, I would have the four questions, and one of them was like, who will you remember first about this season, stuff like that. And one of them is, if it's a pickup game, and you could take anyone in the league, who's the first pick based on how they're playing this season?
0: I would take Giannis.
1: I would take Giannis, too.
0: I might and want to like, play with Jokic more, and then I'd be like, well, who's calling his own fouls? And I think, <laughs> I think Giannis really? would call the least amount of his own fouls. I think Jokic might call the most. But if Harden but I, were playing with Embiid in the pickup game, then I'd be like, well, if they're together, then they're calling their own fouls. Like We might as well just pack up.
1: I think I'd be the most afraid. Yeah, if that happens. You're Did right. you see the NBA tweeted
0: oh, out my Harden's God. free throw record thing? I yeah, I almost said something and I was like, don't just let it go.
1: Let yeah, that go, was a good let it go weak. I will say out of the in that pickup game question, I think Embiid is the guy in the league now that if he's not taken first, he would take it the most personally, and you'd probably be in the most danger. AKA the Kobe Bryant rule. He was like, Embiid's like. I went third. Like even in the All-Star game, Embiid fucking tried in the All-Star game. Like Jokic could've given a shit, right? He's like, Why am I here? This and sucks. I, I hate this. There's nothing there's
0: nothing from the All-Star game I'll ever no, use. No, I know, but it's like I'm just saying right.
1: Embiid Embiid is always gonna, gonna give some sort of shit about the game he's in. Where I don't know that meant mean nothing, might mean anything. I just feel like who needs- would I want to
0: play with though? Yeah, I probably want to play with Jokic because you get shots. Uh- but
1: you'd have to make sure you put the right team with him, right? You'd be like, oh, we don't want Jordan Poole with Jokic because now we have a Bones Murray, <laughs> Bones Highland situation. I almost said Bones Murray. I don't know who Bones Murray is. Let's uh, let's
0: Second take a break.
1: It. I want to throw some of these All NBA questions at you. All right, so I want to do this every week because um, just an All-NBA snapshot. As you know, I love the All-NBA. I take the All-NBA as seriously as probably anyone in the history of, the, uh, of any All-NBA conversation. And it's either Jokic or Embiid for the center spot right now. Giannis and Tatum have the forward spots locked up for first team. And Luka has a guard spot locked up. So first team All-NBA guard which seems like at this point we should at least have an idea who the favorite is. I could give you John Morant. I could give you Dame Lillard with a losing record. I could give you Darren Fox. I could give you James Harden. I could give you Shea Gilgis-Alexander with a losing record. Some people would throw Donovan Mitchell in this conversation. I would not. Um, if you had to pick a favorite for the second guard spot on first team All-NBA, a conversation that's not happening at a lot of cocktail parties right now, who would you take?
0: I'm going to actually put Mitchell down right now. First team? Yeah.
1: Wow, I have a lot of stats to throw at you.
0: <sighs> well, start with the non-stat stuff, and then we can get into the stat
1: stuff. I mean, his clutch stats are bad. And... And I think he shot them out of games. And I actually think their record should be better than it is. Um, I think he's been pretty hit or miss. I'd have him as one of the best 15 players in the league, but I'm not sure I'd have him as one of the best six guards.
0: If you want to go with De'Aaron, I get it, but I'm, I wouldn't put Dame over him. Like, Well, where do you stand
1: on the losing record thing? Because in the past, I, think it's a good I have rule, been pretty but- committed to this, but this year it's so fucking weird where two-thirds of the teams are right around five hundred. So do you just throw away that rule this year?
0: Well, look, I've only done it one other time. So I don't really know. You know, I I think it's a good rule. I think it makes sense. But I, you know, like anything, it's even going back to the MVP. Like each year, the standard changes, right? You can only, you can't, like some guys, when they argue this stuff, it'll be like, well, yeah, but. You so know, five years ago you did this and then whatever. It's like, yeah, but now this year's different. Like this year's vote is different than so. I feel like Cleveland, like when I watch basketball games, he's one of the 15 best players without question in the league this year. Um I know, you know, the bad part of him can be a little reckless, but I also think he's impossible. Like when he's at his best, he's impossible. Fair. And I think there's a little bit more juice to him than a and Fox. Who I think is the only real other option when you want to talk about talent in combination with a team that you feel like has been playing for something all year. So So Ja
1: Ja would be the other one. Well, the Ja when Ja's coming back. Ja would have been
0: my other first team. He would have been prior to What if Ja comes
1: back in four days? Then he's back in the first team. That's how I feel too. But do we think Ja will be back in four days? I have no
0: idea. I mean, based on the pictures, I'd still be hung over, but I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have a friend who worked there.
1: I, uh, I was thinking about introducing myself as shotgun, Willie Simmons for the podcast today, but decided against it.
0: I'd get you a t-shirt. I get you an employee discount on a t-shirt I, I'd if you need one. love,
1: love a, di- a t-shirt. That'd
0: be great. Um, yeah, I had a friend, I had a good friend who, who worked there for a little while, a uh, long time ago. Anyway, yeah, so like Jaw, I have you know, I have all my selections on my my worksheet here. Like this is this is simply workshopping worksheet, whatever you want to call it. Right now, for me, I don't know how definitive you are in your picks. Oh,
1: I'm, that's why I said it's a snapshot. It's March twelfth. We got this four is, this Sundays from now. The season ends. Sixteen this just, games. Lots of stuff could change.
0: It's pages of notes and possibilities or whatever. Jaw is a jaw dot 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 like TBD. And if he comes back soon, which Is probably I don't you know I shouldn't speculate on anything. Um, I hope he comes back soon. I hope everything's good to go and they get this turned around because I think when Memphis is good, it's it's a lot of fun for the league.
1: I do have some Memphis questions though. Like, is this a suspension? Is he getting paid? Did the league do this? I it's this has wasn't it presented as a team thing. And it wasn't, okay, but was how it, does that work? I thought usually I the league laid down a suspension. So is he suspended with pay or without pay? And does he get paid the as during his leave of absence? Like how is this working? It's said the details have been sparse. Right, but if it's a bigger
0: issue where it's something that like leads to wanting to respect, I don't. You know, I'm just going to stop because I don't know. I only know yeah, I've yeah. read a million I different just, things and I don't know what to make of any of it. I so. don't
1: know what to make any of it either. That's my point. I have job ja, first team on NBA still, but he's so he's played 53 yeah. games. Um, the Grizzlies have have played. I have it right here. They have played sixty six games. So there's only sixteen games left, and I think he's got to come back pretty soon and be at a good level to keep that first all in base spot. All right. Um, second team, Jokic or Embiid at center. I think the forwards are pretty set for me, and and. Man, I don't feel great about breaking my losing record rule, but I also can't blame Markkinen for the Jazz having a losing record. Now, if they tank the last four weeks and they end up like 33 and 49 or some weird record like that, I'll reconsider. But for now, I have Butler and I have Markkinen. And Butler has been awesome. <laughs> like, Butler gets the Magic last night was was just classic, where it's like, oh, the Magic have this. They're going to win by 20. And then it's like, ah, oh, it's only eight. It's like, uh oh. Jimmy's got to look to him, and then all of a sudden we're going in overtime and he makes one of the craziest threes. I think Butler's been spectacular. And
0: he's playing. You know, you go through the Butler baseball card, you're like, wait, he played he's played seventy games or more twice in his career. It's crazy. And this year, like his well, efficiency It's not happening stats- this year
1: either. He's fifty four of sixty nine this year for games.
0: No, it's not going to happen, but this is actually a good year by Jimmy Butler standards Agreed. if you look through it. And um it's not just the raw stats and the shooting. It's there's some other stuff in there that tells you it's incredible, which maybe is your anti Mitchell stuff for me. A little bit, you know, whatever. I think we
1: covered it. Oh, now I'm anti Mitchell. See that now you're yeah. doing this is this is great. I just didn't have him in my top six for guards. I'm not anti. I got him top fifteen as a player. Yeah, just, but you the, were the, the most dismissive of...
0: You were the most dismissive of him as a first teamer of all the other guys mentioned like would you yes. be more likely to put you'd be more likely to put Lillard first team than
1: Mitchell Lillard is 32 and 7 he's 47 38 92 percentages he's played 53 of 66 games he's having the best statistical season of his career and i can't blame him for losing some of these games where it's like you lost because your center's use of Nurkic and he couldn't guard Joel Embiid. And that's why he lost this game. Um, but yet, if like, do we think Portland, are they going to go for the 10 seed? I feel like they will. I actually think they're going to end up with a, with a 500 record. Cause I think they're going to go for the 10 or the nine seed. That's what I see. I mean, what, yeah. you see something different. I, don't, I, think, no, they're I don't think they're playing basketball. A tank. Yeah. I think they're going to go for it. So that makes me feel like he, he will end up in one of the top two teams would be my guess. I had right now I had Dame and, and De'Aaron Fox as my guards for this second team. Because if the if the Kings are gonna get a two seed, I'm putting Fox on either second or third team on NBA. I just don't
0: Fox was easier for me to pencil in the second team because of everything we've already talked about. So yeah. I, I didn't even really think that one as of right now. Um again, I, I hate to say it's not debatable because it's totally debatable no, because I'm not sure what A lot of work do. left.
1: Yeah. Um all right, so third team.
0: Can I just run through it again? So you had taught, uh, Tatum and Giannis as your forwards, right?
1: Yeah, and you then second said that? team. Sorry, are you okay with marking in for second team so far? No. So no. who's your placeholder for second team forward? Who do you have? What did to set you do it? with Sabonis? Oh, you wanted to get crafty with the Sabonis positioning. Well, I I'm mean, afraid to do that because we we went through this with the rules last year, where it can penalize the guy if you put him in as a forward when he's a center. To me, he's a center. I watch a yeah. lot of Kings. He's always the center. He's so definitely a center. Team. But it, then, to me, it's like sorry. So you're, you're gonna leave Bam, You're gonna leave Bam out of all yeah, NBA. Yeah, Bam's out. Bam loses. Yeah, I don't like.
0: I don't like how definitive you are about that because I feel like.
1: Well, so, Sabonis has to be on one of these teams. Like he just has to. He has to be. So for me, I mean, he might go in a massive slump next four weeks, but like right now, he has to be. He's nineteen. Nineteen right. twelve and 62 percent shooting, and he's played sixty two of sixty four games.
0: Yeah. Is this something stupid though where Sabonis is listed as a power forward? Well,
1: that'd be great. If he's it? listed as power forward, this gets way easier because then that's But it's also all...
0: bullshit too. You know, I mean it, it would be So who ridicul- else would play center for them? No, he's I mean he's center. I mean, Can
1: you he's... name it? Like Rashawn Holmes doesn't play. They don't have another center.
0: No, it's Metu or they'll
1: go Lyles. It's it's small. Um, so, what about marketing? If as a default, second team forward, right now. So this LeBron injury, put...
0: LeBron injury is is wiped him off the board for you.
1: He's played forty seven games.
0: He's not gonna. He's gonna end up not making it if he could have come back and played fifty eight or something. I think he he makes it onto at least the third team.
1: No question. My cutoff for this has always been fifty five. Because that's like two thirds of the season. Durant's it's not as big one. of
0: an issue. It's not as big of an issue this year as it has been in some of the last few years. But go ahead.
1: Durant's forty-two games, and he's not going to be back in time. No. So we lose LeBron, no. and we lose Durant, which is stupid. Um, so for, I'll just go through third team quick, and then we can talk about the forwards and the in the guard spot. Uh, so I had Sabonis at center so far. I had Randall. I think has to be the th- one of the thirteen forward spots. He's twenty-five and ten again. The durability is incredible. He's played all 67 games. I don't know. That matters. And in the year 2023, durability to me has to be considered a skill along with this other stuff. And if you're telling me I get somebody for the entire season, every game, I think that matters. He's playing 36 minutes a game too. He's going to lead the league in minutes. And then, uh, I'll talk about the second forward spot in a second, but I had, um, Harden and then either Mitchell or SGA as my, uh, third team guards. I, I feel like SGA is going to check out because I think OKC is going to check out as we get close here. Don't you think? SGA is going to a Well, they haven't, yeah. Calf I mean, there's,
0: there's some stuff that OKC could have done to be more pro tanking. There's stuff they could be doing with the rotation, but it's not happening. So I know everybody thinks the SGA thing is like, oh, but if they were tanking, they would do some of these other stuff. I mean, what the Nets did the other night. Did you see the Detroit lineup the other day? Oh, my you God. Know? I thought they were yeah. going to call up the kid from Detroit Mercy to play. Like They didn't have anybody they just are like, we're really fucking going. Again, I don't blame anybody for that. I think Randall's a lock because he's played so many games. He's been durability. so good again. Um, and the other thing when you look at Randall, like the rebounding numbers are nuts here too. And he's meant so much to this team, um, you know, the back and forth with he and Brunson. So you don't have Brunson or you just have him kind
1: of like in the group of... The guards are too tough this year. I had Brunson on the uh, that kind of next level. Like Drew... To me, Drew is the, a tougher cut than Mitchell in a lot of ways. Because I, but I am admittedly probably higher as just as a Drew fan than others. Because the two way stuff with him is just so dramatically in his favor. He's such a good defensive player, uh, and I really value what he did in some of those games when they were banged up. Because I don't think he's not he's not the most awesome, you know, lead creator guy. He's a little. He can be a little, but. Sometimes he they kind of had to have him do that, and he could get away with it. I don't know, twenty five and seven for him, and uh, and he's played enough games, and so I I was thinking about him too. The Siakam is the one that I'm surprised dropped off, but I, I I think he's really fallen off since the Pirtle trade. Like, have you watched the Raptors? Siakam doesn't seem like the same guy anymore.
0: No, I mean honestly every time I think I you know have like and again doubts with Siakam is just is he actually one of the fifteen best players, which I don't think is a huge knock, and then he'll go on like this fucking tear. Like I think he might have been my last decision last year and I I ended right. up giving it to It's Butler. the opposite this year. Right. So um, I mean I have him on my list. I have DeRozan, it's not gonna happen. Um the Randall thing is pretty easy. The Butler thing is pretty easy. Although I'd add this Butler doing the LeBron walk-off thing. Like I'm not with these guys. That's such bullshit. And you know, look, Miami's trying. I, I think they've done a really good job with not a great offensive team of of finding a way to keep that They don't have you know really much of a rotation. I don't he, know how he many can't other teams. help
1: himself sometimes. Yeah, he I just, just don't can't. like it,
0: and I'm saying it. It wouldn't keep yeah. me from voting him and beyond this, but it's like okay, so where's this going? Like when we need everybody to be. But again, look at them last year. They got into the huge thing with Spo, and they're a shot away from playing for an NBA championship. So you know, maybe, maybe none of this matters. I just don't really like it all that much. I hate leaving Bam off. I'll tell you that.
1: I don't feel good about it either. Unfortunately, he's the fourth best center in the league this year. So the second forward, man, it's tough. Uh, let me let me ask for a ruling. Can Jalen Brown be eligible as, as for that forward spot? In your opinion.
0: Well, he certainly plays small forward minutes, even though he's considered a guard. Because like they we play two guards with Tatum right.
1: and Brown a lot. They do. So I think that makes it easier. I mean, he's 26 points a game, seven rebounds. He's played a bunch of games. He's only missed 12. Um, When we think about the Celtics, it's like those two guys are the reason that they're good, right? It's Tatum and Brown, Tatum and Brown, Tatum and Brown. So... Big picture-wise, it makes sense to me. But I also, like, you know, I'm sensitive of the whole, oh, you're just like it because he's a Boston guy. It's just like, to me, it's him or DeRozan. And the Bulls have been one of the most forgettable teams on League Pass this whole season. And DeRozan's fine. He's 25 a game. But I, to me, I, I don't think he's one of the 15 best players in the league. DeRozan hasn't
0: played in the game that's mattered for, like, two months. Okay? And right. there are moments where Jalen Brown has to carry this team. Um, and I would say there's times with Jalen where he's the aggressive one. Where he's like, you know I what? I've had this shit. Like, I, I, <laughs> I love the way Jalen Brown has played stretches this season. When it like feels like some things are falling apart, or you know the defense is totally locked in on Tatum, or Tatum's just having a night where, again, a lot of the guys. You know, I think that kind of speaks back to like the Tatum thing of being just maybe you know a slight, slight level down in between the the tier that he's not yeah. in and the next tier that he's above everybody else in. And I think you can see Jalen even understand that. I think the great thing of those two guys playing together for this long is that Jalen notices it or he feels it. And like, that's one of the great things about basketball is like kind of knowing the moment a little bit. And, you know, I know what DeRozan Thumbers are. He's terrific. That contract ended up working out for Chicago. Everybody knocked it and all that kind of stuff. But I would have a hard time. Like, the tiebreaker for me is how many big games has it felt like Jalen's had to do something that really matters where the Bulls stink?
1: Yeah. How m- and how many Bullseye games has he played in? That's the other thing, where it's just like it's the biggest game of the month for the other team, you know. Uh, as we're talking, Embiid is up to thirty-four points as we have a whole fourth quarter, so he might get fifty. Changing in this the ball today. Um, well, I haven't. I guess I didn't declare it, so I don't know what it is. I feel I feel pretty good about Jalen in that spot for now. It's really weird though, where you have no Curry because he's not going to play enough games, no LeBron, no Durant, and no Kawhi, who you could argue at least for the last two months or the last six weeks of the season, has been one of the best six forwards. I don't think there's any argument on that. He's just not going to play enough games either. And then the only other people, like Booker didn't play enough games. Yeah,
0: I just going to ask you about Booker. I can't
1: get there with Paul George. Davis isn't going to even get to 50 games, it doesn't look like. And then I think Bam is probably the most Anthony egregious. Edwards.
0: Anthony Edwards is on my list as like a... You know, what if they put together a little bit of a run here?
1: Could you weasel him into the forward spot? Potentially, I was thinking about that one, too. Like, same way with Jalen. Because like, they they do, have had some lineups where there's like two guards plus him.
0: What was but, it last year? Everybody got mad because they were trying to figure out to, how to put Jokic in and
1: bead. Well, that uh, was stupid. Yeah, I was right. like, oh, no, just put... just. Well, didn't you almost do it? I did until I found out what the rule was, which is like if it's it's only the votes for the center position. So yeah, if you have right. a forward vote, it like doesn't count. I was like, well, I'm th- that doesn't seem fair to it you. It should
0: which. go to, I don't think it should be, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, there's been some centers over the years that are going to end up being like, look at this Hall of Fame resume. And you're like third team, all NBA yeah. center. And you're just like, there's certain years where you're like, well, who's the third center? Like, where is he? What do I need to do here? Um, this year, certainly with Sabonis, because he does play center. I just know that on some of the sorting, I think he's he's listed differently, which is also bullshit, too. It's like, OK, so wait a minute. So Sabonis can be a forward in the 2023 All-NBA voting because he played with Miles Turner two years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like that's that doesn't seem to make any sense. But instead of just the two guards, three front, front court guys, which is probably what they should do, should the NBA just call it the top 15? Can you imagine the content that you would have where we spend all this time, where I do it twice a year, where I do my top 10, right? So I do yeah. my top five, top six. We just bullshit about it. I always kind of do like a top 10 twice a year just to see kind of where I'm at and see if I surprise myself. I remember did it one year. I had John Wall ninth. I know that sounds crazy. That one year, I don't think it was nuts. Um, I also have my own little process of like it's not just the 10 best players this season, but whatever. But if you said the NBA just goes for the season, we're gonna rank who the fifteen best were, like college football. Wouldn't that actually be awesome? And then also be fair for when these guys retire, onto like, hey, he had he had like six top twelve finishes on top NBA top fifteen.
1: Yeah, it's a it should almost be a separate thing to the NBA. I I really am hesitant to change the NBA because it. To me, it traces back the history of the whole league, right? We yep. had years where it's like Russell or Chamberlain, or you had the years in the 90s where it's like Hakeem, Robinson, Ewing, Shaq, pick three. Right. And the
0: All Pro two. for the NFL, when you see a guy hit like four first team All Pros, Yeah, in the you NFL, know, it really like, meant something. Okay.
1: So, like when C. web beat KG and Duncan, I forget who he beat out in 01, it's like that's meaningful. Those guys were fucking amazing. He was better than them in a, in a year. So, I was thinking about it, though, how stupid this was because. Your center point. In 2016, a year that had an awesome LeBron James season, an awesome Kawhi Leonard season, and an awesome Kevin Durant season. 2016, that was the year that Durant's second team and our first team All NBA center was DeAndre Jordan. First team. This goes, goes down in history. And that's where we the wheels come off where it's like, what are we doing? Like, so part of me wonders, I don't know. You,
0: so I love the history part of it because you're right. But when I go through the exercise before tough, I even man. had a vote, I'd be like, I don't think this player deserves to be remembered now. Andre an Drummond, All-NBA. third
1: team all NBA. Andre Drummond. Uh, all right, we're wrapping up, but we got to do our retradables. I threw at you a trade from 2012. It was the Darren Williams trade with the Nets, which I remember where I was when it happened. I was going to visit like the Apple Facebook headquarters with a couple ESPN people. I missed
0: that it, one. I, yeah, I you were about
1: it. And uh, it was like, yeah, Darren Williams got traded to Brooklyn. It's like, what? This was the era of no whispers, no rumors, no anything. This trade came out of nowhere. And Priscilla, I almost wonder, was this the last kind of monster mega trade where we had no inkling whatsoever that there was even like a potential of a trade? Because Darren Williams was the second best point guard in the league when this trade happened. Ah, uh, come on. There,
0: There hasn't been one surprise in 12 years?
1: Like out of the nowhere, di- not even like. Whispers the day before, nothing.
0: It was very quiet. Remember, because it was Utah. They didn't even you were shop them, Remember, right.
1: everyone was mad. It was like, wait a second, Darren Williams. It was like one of those. Wait a second, Darren Williams is available. Well,
0: that was the the all timers. The power. Gasol. That was the. Best I mean, one. I had teams that wouldn't even call me back. That called me to complain about that one.
1: <laughs> like, hey, Ryan, uh, first so just time long time. <laughs> so here was the uh, here was the trade. This was right after he had been battling with Jerry Sloan and they trade him to Brooklyn. They get back Derek Favors, who'd been the number two pick in the draft. They get a 2011 first, which ended up being the third pick in the draft because I think it belonged to somebody else. And then uh, a 2013 first. The 2011 number three pick became Ennis Cantor. And the 2013 pick became... Gor- uh, George- I can never say his name. Gorgie Dan. G- Gorg, Gorgie, gorg, Jang. Gorgie Dang, Gorgie Dang, hard G, soft G. Really tough one for me. Um, well, and that I mean, was the whole at, trade. It's nowadays Williams over here. Nowadays, um, that trade. I feel like there's what four more first rounds in that trade. Four more first rounders by the by the 2023 standards.
0: Well, um, yeah, th- there would be because Darren Williams was that good at the time. And
1: Like, what's uh, the equivalent? Who is he now? This is like trading SGA right now. Uh, I know people would hear you say that and resist. I don't
0: think that's crazy at all. Well, I don't. I so mean, I, but people were arguing. I remember, granted, it was very Utah-based, but people were arguing he was better than Chris Paul.
1: Oh, for five but, years. I used to take get the shit from it from the Utah fans. 2010, second team on NBA.
0: Utah fans used to be tougher. Back then, they Utah were fans, they were the, fucking...
1: They were a couple badass, of these documentaries have out, out. I think 2008, he was second team on NBA. and 2007, that's it. He had two second team on BAs up to that point. Plus, he had had real playoff success. They had won like five playoff series with them in three years. Like he was a winning player. I like. Yeah, game.
0: that's the thing is that he was an established dude where you felt like, wait, if we get this guy. Like now we're in a different conversation, not certainly guaranteed for like championship contention, but this is how good he was. I mean, he was impossible in transition. I remember I interviewed him once. I go, when you do that crossover and you barrel into a dude and send him flying and you get the call every time, do you ever feel bad for the defender? And he was like, yeah, I mean, like it's always a foul on them. It's like awesome (laughs) because he initiated all the contact and he was like (laughs) laughing going, yeah, I know exactly what I do clearly. And they never get the call.
1: Well, they had him and Baron Davis at the same time during that stretch, two of like the most physical point guards in the history of the league. So they Brooklyn does this trade. Utah just says, fuck it, and they reboot. Uh, and they had lost Boozer the year before, too. Then a year later, Brooklyn does one of the craziest trades, I think, of the last 20 years. They trade a top three protected first halfway through the 2012 season for Gerald Wallace. Yeah, because they're afraid Darren Williams might not re-sign with them, and and he likes Jer- Jared Jared Wallace. Nobody has ever been able to figure out why I was only a top three protected. Well, they I think said Portland would have uh, done top ten protected; they would have been psyched.
0: Right, but I remember there was a quote that came out after the fact where I think Billy King said we thought it was a three-person draft.
1: Yeah. Oh no, that he did. He one hundred percent said that. Said that, right? that. Yeah, yeah, he said that. So. They get Jared Wallace, they also have to give Jared Wallace a new contract, which then a year later they have to dump in the KG trade and put even more picks for there. So that was kind of their reboot. And then the last one was the Joe Johnson one they did that summer, which was Joe Johnson. They basically took Joe Johnson's crazy contract from Atlanta. They gave up Anthony Morrow, a protected 2013 first, and they did pick swaps in 14 and 15. 2013 pick was Shane Larkin, number 18. Kind of liked him out of Miami. Pick swap 2014, not exercised. I know you love when pick swaps are thrown in trades and then not exercised. 2015 swap was exercised. Atlanta moved up to number 25. Brooklyn moved back to number 29. Kelly Oubre, number 15. And Chris McCullough was the number 29th pick. So when you look back at all the stuff Brooklyn gave up to get all these guys, it actually was like pretty good prices. Um... Except for the Gerald Wallace thing, which, which is an out now catastrophe and something they're probably still licking their wounds for all these years later. All they had to do is make it a top seven protected and they would have kept the pick.
0: It's really easy to go back and, you know, looking at this knowing, and I think retradables is actually the right thing because it's just like we do the rewatchables. Like you do the thing and then you talk about it, but then you go, here are all these little facts. Yeah. Research, picking nets. So it is kind of the same mechanism. Uh, he was, th- he was that good. I mean, despite my defense of Chris Paul at the time and the argument, because I thought that part of it was silly, you, know, you felt like the Nets The Nets were desperate to feel like they've arrived. They were pursuing Carmelo the entire time. The pieces yeah. that were in this trade were involved in the trade that they did for Melo with the Nuggets, and Melo was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, or if you want to do it, you can do it, but I'm not signing, and you're going to really be pissed at yourself. And so Melo was actually, I believe, traded the day before, te- officially to the Knicks on the 22nd. And then this deal happened on the 23rd. And Utah, remember the Utah part of this was that Darren Williams had a problem with Jerry Sloan. He has since said in a million different interviews that he wished he could do it all over again because he just did it the wrong way, Um, which is like a lot of young people. (laughs) It's not specific to basketball players, but that Utah was like really old school about it from the stories that you heard. that They were like, okay, guess what? You don't want to fucking be here? See ya. And that's why this happened Where I just pulled up New York Times piece, Howard Beck's like in a thing that shocked to your initial point. You're right. This was like, wait, what?
1: Well, the other piece with that is the one time a team proactively sniffed out a player that was about to become perpetually unhappy and just proactively said, nah, fuck this. We're not, we're not signing up for this. We're for you pouting for the next, you know, six months and toward free agency. Like I think he had a year and a half to go before his free agency. And they just jump the gun, and I gotta say, I wonder why teams don't do this more often. Where because it's most so hard to get you these have, guys, because it's, cause, cause it's well, so hard to
0: get these guys, you're not in a hurry to get rid of them.
1: But I'm saying that year before the free agency year, where it's you basically know how it's going to play out. But you see a lot of times teams going, "Oh man, I hope he stays. Maybe he'll change. Maybe it'll get better." And then they kind of panic to put more stuff around the person. It's like trying to save a bad marriage. In this case, you talked it proactively now. They really haven't been that relevant since, or it took them, I guess, nine, ten years to get back to at least playing in a uh, round two of the playoffs again. Um by the way, I have one more retrade. It's not enough fun a real for quick, a though. I, think, I I think Williams may have I think he already had done his rookie extension, which also made it weird. Yeah. No, but okay. he had they had to re sign him because he was gonna be the big sweepstakes. Remember, it was like him and Dwight Howard are gonna play together. Uh one one more Utah retradables, which I thought was fun. And I did this draft. Oh he did a shorter one.
0: He did a shorter extension. So never mind. Right. Go ahead. Two
1: thousand thirteen. Utah is the number the uh number forty six pick. Denver is picking twenty seventh. Denver takes Rudy Gobert and trades him to Denver for number forty six in cash. And the pick becomes Eric Green. And that's how Utah got Rudy Gobert, which I had totally forgotten. So that trade of moving up 19 spots for cash and Rudy Gobert, he wasn't invited to the draft. I remember, I think he came out of the stands. It's like, oh, giant French guy comes out of the stands. Like, look at this guy. And then Utah ends up turning that only, you know, into nine good years. And then that giant Minnesota trade, which is one of the great trades of all time.
0: A little addition to Ennis Kanter goes down as the most confusing guy to back or not back in like, political history because you're like i would normally never take this guy's side but i don't like lebron it's an amazing riddle because like some of the dudes that are so pro canner, you're like you would never be pro canner. <laughs> well you would never be pro Canner in a vacuum but then you're like wait am i up um, are we aligned politically or oh wait am i not and no oh, no that was a good tweet and be like wait what the fuck was that like i don't know what to do that's really hard to pull off
1: and Canner pulled it off He's labyrinth. He was bad for the Celtics last year. Unfortunately, I think like there would have been an awesome blackball case for him if you hadn't actually watched Celtics games last year. Because he, yeah, just, all you have to do he just right. seems like, really slow and just wasn't good anymore. He wasn't effective.
0: I mean, the next time he goes on Fox News and the graphic says, you know, former NBA star, and then you know he's going to push the blackball thing big time. It's like, yeah, pick and rolls
1: also were a problem. He was unplayable last year. I think they actually would have been psyched to play him. And I really like him. I remember he came on this podcast once, and um, I actually liked his game. I think I was one of the last holdouts for, oh, this guy's style, it still can matter in the NBA today. There but were certain just, matchups
0: where yeah. it was just, you were like, you got to get him out of there. You got to get yeah. him out of there. And the problem is, it's it's too bad, just from the basketball standpoint, it's too bad, because he's an incredibly offensively skilled guy. And around the rim, he's a
1: total pain in the ass. Like, it was, it's tough dealing with him. But, um, 1974, he would have just wreaked havoc. Um, All right, Rosillo, we're going to pack it up. This was another episode of Sundays with Rosillo. It was really fun. I enjoyed every piece of it. Keep an eye on the Sacramento Kings. Oh, let me give you one last Embiid update. He is now at... I finished with 34. I guess they're blowing out the Wizards now. (laughs) I don't know. Back on Jokic. (laughs) So the Wizards are now in a tailspin. And the Bulls are the 10 seed, and they're 31 and 36. I don't know if they're playing today, but like nobody wants the last two seeds. It's, it's like they're going to be the saddest play ever. It's like, here's Toronto. They lose every game in the last five minutes and seem like they hate each other. And here's Chicago. They've been terrible all year. And that's who we're going to get for the play, and it looks like. That's why Orlando is only four backs, Rudy, from the, in the loss column with... 14 to play it's not inconceivable
0: look I, I mean uh, I don't know if Saru's jumping in there Chicago's not playing today they're actually off again tomorrow speaking Magic of Magic play the Spurs Tuesday I can't wait to see what happens with Milwaukee and Sacramento um, so that'll be fun because you wouldn't think they have the best matchup if Giannis is is back from the wrist thing but um, I don't know the latest on that that'll be a good one but, I mean, OKC's a half a game out, I think, of the plan on that side, too. So, like, you're sitting here looking at Chicago. I mean, hell, I, it felt like Washington played Atlanta for, like, two straight weeks. <laughs> like, like, every time I turned on TV, I'm like, what? Did they have, like, some make some rain outs? What's going on here?
1: I'll tell you, it was a tough week for uh, Joe Haas' text about Bradley Beal. The, the anger went to another level for the 50 million-year contract. All right, Russillo, uh, I will see you next Sunday, and you can hear Russillo on his podcast, which he's doing. Twice a week. We never talked about the uh, the Panthers trade, but you can talk about that on your own podcast. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, Kevin Herder on this week. We're going to get to the bottom oh, of what the Herter. hell he was doing in Salt Lake City the night before the three point contest.
1: Great. Can't wait to hear. Uh, he was at
0: Shotgun Billy's, apparently. <laughs> oh, no.
1: Uh, thanks to uh, Kyle Craig for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti as well. I'll see you on this feed on Tuesday.